if we can just pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we just give you glory tonight, God. There is none like you, Lord, and I thank you, God, for your precious presence in this place. I thank you, God, for each and every one of us here tonight that are able to gather in your house, Lord. And, God, to hear your word, Lord, and I pray that you will speak to us, God. I pray your divine anointing upon me, beloved God, to minister your word tonight. It's a privilege, it's an honor, God, and I ask you to bless me in ministering your word, Heavenly Father. I ask you to be amongst us, Lord, in your precious name we pray. And I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I've called this message tonight, confession, because that's mainly what it's about. And just to uh, clear up something here, there are some people that teach that you can go to a man and you can confess to him and he can give you uh, a penance of some description and your sins are forgiven. That is not the truth. Amen. If I offend you or you offend me, I can come to you and ask you to please forgive me and you can forgive me, amen, of the wrongdoing that I have done to you. But I still have to take that issue to God and ask God to forgive me. That's where the forgiveness takes place. We are forgiven between each other because now we have a restored relationship, amen. But God is the one that forgives us of all sin and unrighteousness that we can find our place in heaven with him, amen. So it is a false teaching that man can absolve people of sins. Amen. So before confession is made, there is a conviction and acknowledgement and admission to oneself of wrongdoing. Then confession is made to God for forgiveness and guilt to be removed. A perfect example of confession is that of King David in Psalm 51. And I'd like you to turn to Psalm 51. We read from verses 1 to 17. sung about the mercy of God tonight. It says here, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward part, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, 
and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Amen. That is a very deep <clears throat> um, scripture where David repents and asks God for forgiveness and he comes to the realization of his sins and how deep it is. And not only the sins that he's committed here, but the eternal consequences of those sins. He has a realization of that and he asks God to change his heart, to cleanse him, and he asks God for forgiveness. Amen. And in response to confession and genuine repentance, God says in Isaiah 43 and 25, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. And the New Testament scripture in Hebrews 8 and 12 says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. What a great God he is. What a great and wonderful God he is. And he says he won't remember those sins and he won't remember the iniquities. We remember our sins and we remember our iniquities. Even when we ask for forgiveness, even when we've done wrong and we ask for forgiveness, it doesn't erase the sins and the, the, the memory of the sins and the iniquity. And I think that's because God wants us to realize what it is that we need to repent of, what it is we need to confess to him. In regard to confession, I've gathered some quotes. <clears throat> Mahatma Gandhi said, Confession of errors is like a broom which sweeps away the dirt and leaves the surface brighter and cleaner. I feel stronger for confession. Another saying attributed to St. Bernard is this saying, God removes the sin of the one who makes humble confession and thereby the devil loses the sovereignty he had gained over the human heart. And an old Scottish proverb says, open confession is good for the soul. And that, that ties it up very neatly because when we do confess, we do feel much better after that confession. It's not easy to confess. I will say so just now. It's not easy to confess. It's a hard thing because of our human nature. And it's hard to own up to wrongdoing. It's very, very hard. Sometimes we prefer maybe to hide it away. Perhaps it's not there to avoid it and um, deal with it that way. But once we do make confession, it makes it a lot easier. And I want you to know that uh, the Bible says we must confess our faults one to another. That is on a trust a trusting places and a trusting relationship. We don't go around to everybody confessing our faults. That's not the way it needs to be done. Amen. But you find somebody in the church, your pastor, one of the leaders, somebody that you trust. If you have a fault and it's worrying you and it's disturbing you, you can go and confess it to that leader in the church. Amen. And they will honestly help you to pray for that situation that you will feel relieved and get deliverance from, from condemnation from that issue. <clears throat> it's all very well to quote all these quotes, but confession is not always easy. It can be hard for us to own up to and admit our faults and wrongdoings. And it may seem easier for us to make excuses for our failings or simply deny them. It is particularly uncomfortable when others point out our failings to us. And it's hard to tolerate our, tolerate our faults 
when we recognize our own faults in others. I have great admiration and respect for King David, and I do not like talking about his sin, but he is an example for us to follow. And in spite of all his greatness and his close walk with God and all that, all that God had brought him through and all that God had ministered to him, he found it difficult to recognize and face up to his sin. And in spite of his relationship with God, he committed a sin. That doesn't give us an excuse. It doesn't allow us to commit sin. Amen. But David had a very close relationship with God and he fell into sin. It also speaks about unoccupying ourselves and letting boredom uh, uh, creep into our lives and being in the wrong place at the right time and the right place at the wrong time, amen, and allowing our thoughts to take us on journeys where we don't belong, where we do not need to go. And that's precisely what happened to David. He wasn't on the battlefield where he was supposed to be. There was a battle taking place. And he was in a situation where he had time on his hands and he fell into sin. It can easily happen. And the consequences are very, very dire. And another thing too, when we fall into when we fall into sin or when sin takes place, God can forgive us of that sin. And he does if we repent, we confess it to him and we repent and ask for his forgiveness. But, but often the consequences of those sin remain. Regardless of how we've humbled ourselves before God and asked him to forgive us, there is a consequence that we have to pay the price for. Simple example, if you speed and you... Um, you get a, a fine for speeding, you can ask God to forgive you from that, but you still got to pay the fine. Amen. That's not going to be taken away. The consequence is there. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's 1 John 1, 8 and 9. It is only natural that we feel bad when we do things that hurt others, that hurt ourselves, and hurt our relationship with God. Likewise, God never wants to be separated from us. All sin and wrongdoing is against God because it is a violation of God's holy character. And the punishment for our sins and wrongdoing is spiritual death. Genesis 2 and 17 says, just a portion of that scripture, For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. That spiritual death means we cannot enter heaven and be in the presence of God. However, according to God's laws, hallelujah, there is remission of sin by the shedding of blood. Not the shedding of our own blood unto death. If that was the case, there would be billions of dead bodies piled up high in a place which is not in the presence of God until they all rotted away. But God, but God has a plan. But God, from the beginning, God had a plan for all mankind to be relieved from that sin, to be forgiven, and to be cleansed. What a wonderful, wonderful God he is. Now, so Brother Paul said we must take our time. I think that's what he said more or less in living for God and wait upon the Lord. And that is so true. God is with us continuously and he's dealing in our lives and he's working within our lives. Amen. And we need to be patient and live for God on a day-to-day -day basis. Amen. The spiritual death means, we, I've said that, but God, in his graciousness and his mercy, God will atone for all 
our sins and has sacrificed the life of his precious son in our place, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed. We don't have righteousness. As human beings, we do not have righteousness. But the Bible says here that we should live unto righteousness because of the death and the burial and the resurrection, because of the shedding of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are able to have righteousness. Amen. We are humans, and we're prone to sin, but God will allow us his righteousness. What a mighty, wonderful God. What a mighty, wonderful God. God understands our natural human tendencies, and that is why he has given us specific instructions to repent from sin. While we may be inclined to go into denial and avoid confession, we do realize that all the excuses and all the denials of our failings do not make them go away. Rather, they only distance us further from those we have injured, and this not only makes us unhappy here on earth, but of course it has eternal consequences, and we can be separated from God eternally. To experience God's abundant mercy and restore our relationship with him, we need to open our hearts, confess, and we will receive his forgiveness. It is not the will of God that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And this scripture continues saying, that in the day of the Lord, that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat, and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up, seeing that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for the new heavens and the new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be, may be found of him in peace, without spot, and blameless. Amen. God has made provision. God has made provision. Hallelujah. I cannot soften this prophecy to make it any easier for us to bear. This is the perfect word of God, and this is exactly what is going to take place. But how and how it is going to take place. But once again, but God. God has allowed us to be cleansed. He's allowed us to come to him. He's allowed us to be washed from those sins. Changing a little bit, the English language is quite strange. I'm sure it must be a very, very difficult language to learn and to understand because there are many inconsistencies, such as the following examples, most of which I've collected from the Internet. I just need a sip. The bandage was wound around his head to cover his wound. The wind was too strong to wind the sail. The dump was full and it was necessary to refuse further refuse. 
We must polish the Polish furniture. The soldier decided to desert his desert in the desert. There's no time like the present to present this present. The startled dove dove into the bushes. The insurance was invalid for the invalid. There was a row amongst the oarsmen as to who could row the best. We were too close to the door to close it. The farmer's wife went to sow the grain, but the sow ate the grain, so she went inside to sow her dress. However, she shed a tear when she saw the tear in her dress. How can a slim chance and a fat chance be the same? While well, a wise man and a wise guy are opposites. And to finish off, this is not from the internet, seven days without prayer makes one week. And that's spelt W-E-A-K, as you've all gathered. Seven days without prayer makes one week. So I'll continue my message using certain words in the English language tonight. God commands men everywhere to repent. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. So if you look up the word pent, it means shut in, confined and repressed. But the word repent means to show and express sorrow for something bad and or wrong, having a strong desire to do what is right. Repentance means turn. Repentance is a change of heart and mind that brings us closer to God. It includes turning away from sin and turning to God for forgiveness. It is motivated by the love, our love for God and a sincere desire to obey His commandments. Our repentance is more important, sorry, our repentance is important to God. And to illustrate this, I'll go back to the account of David. There was a period of about one year after his sin of adultery and orchestrating the death of Uriah. Yet he had not owned up to his sin nor repented. The Lord sent Nathan the prophet to David. And what he said to David was this. There were two men in one city. The one was rich and the other poor. But the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb which he had brought up and nourished. And it grew up together in his family with his children. It was treated as a child of the family. In time to come, a traveler came to the rich man. And instead of the rich man taking from his flock a sheep to provide food for the traveler, he took the poor man's only ewe and he dressed it to provide food for the traveler. David's, David's anger was kindled when Nathan told him this story. And he was kindled against the rich man and he said, As the Lord liveth, that man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. David was very angry when he heard that account. And then Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Then Nathan went on to tell David all the things that God had said how, and the things that God had done in David's life, how God had anointed David over Israel and over Judah, delivered him out of the hand of Saul, and many, many more blessings, much too much to mention here tonight. And God had said, Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Remember that every sin and every, wrong, every wrongdoing is against God, 
At the end of the day, the bottom line is it's all against God. We can offend each other, but we're offending God at the same time. Why have you done this, he said, this evil in my sight? And Nathan reminded David of the sins he had committed. And with all this conversation, David recognized his sin, and he repented and confessed that he had sinned against God. Nathan went on to say, The Lord also hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. That is forgiveness, amen. How beautiful is that after all David went through, that repentance, that confession, that owning up to his sin is a hard place. And David managed all of that, and the Lord has put away his sins, and he will not die. So if we join re, the first part of repent, re, to pent, you get repent, which is something we need to do. And repentance is acting on repent. So in repentance, the wrongdoing that has been shut in confined and repressed is now released and turned away from. So if you read about pent, it says that it's shut in and it's confined and it's released. But, I mean, it's shut in, but when we repent, it's all of that relief, that repression, that uh, hardship, the difficulty there in repression, it's all released, and we are free. And the Bible says, know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And that is the truth when we own up to those things that we've done wrong. Amen. The truth will set us free, and we are free indeed. Amen. We are free indeed. Repentance is absolutely important. If you look up the word deem, D-E-E-M, it means to think of someone or something in a particular way. To have an opinion. Then join re, the prefix re to deem, you get redeem, which means gain or regain possession of something in exchange for payment, loosing from a bond, setting free from captivity or slavery, buying back something lost or sold, exchanging something in one's possession for something possessed by another. So as we all know, because of the sin in Adam and Eve, we have inherited a sinful nature and are sinners who should be separated from God. But God deems or thinks of us in a particular way that he does not want us to be separated from him. He does not want us to be separated by sin. And he wants us to, to be in fellowship with him. And therefore, by the blood of Jesus Christ, we are brought back Jesus paid the price. The death, burial, and death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ was a price that he had to pay. He paid the price, and he is our Redeemer. And that is the only way we can be brought back to the original way that man was created when God created man at the beginning. Before sin came into man's life, we are redeemed and we are taken back to that place. We are brought back by the mercy and grace and power of God, by the blood of the Lamb. And here we are, redeemed. Here here we are restored. Here we are in the Almighty God's presence, washed and cleansed and free from sin and unrighteousness. But God made a way. But God, but God, but God. Oh, Jesus, we worship you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And, and in exchange, God alone possesses righteousness. We don't. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. The Bible clearly states that. God alone possesses righteousness and he exchanges our unrighteousness and he gives us righteousness that we may be blameless before him. 
Hallelujah. In whom we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. If we look up the word for, F-O-R, it means intended to help or benefit someone or something. And if we look up the word give, it means freely transfer the possession of something to someone. So joining the two words together, we get forgive, which is the act of excusing or pardoning sins and wrongdoings, and this is exactly what God does for us when we ask his forgiveness. By the way, we need to ask his forgiveness. Amen. We do need to ask his forgiveness. It's no good walking around with sin for the rest of our lives. We have to ask God for forgiveness, otherwise the sin remains with us. Therefore, when we are forgiven by God, it is a help and a benefit to us in all areas of our lives and in our spiritual walk with him. And God gives the release from the guilt of sin, and we are justified before him. Not guilty. We are justified before him. When the the judgment time comes and we stand before God, he's going to say, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty, amen. We stand justified before him. But without asking God for forgiveness, we carry the guilt of sin, and it's a heavy weight, and it's a burden. In correspondence, usually when you write a letter and you see when you do emails, the matter of the correspondence is prefixed re, R-E, which means in, uh, in the matter of. So for our benefit and salvation, God is extremely interested in the re's, in the matter of redemption, in the matter of renewal, in the matter of restoration, in the matter of regeneration, in the matter of revival. Amen. God is interested and he deems that he deems that his will for us to receive all of those things. We can be undone and we can be lost, but he can put us all together again. God has redeemed us, he's renewed us, he's restored us and regenerated us. Amen. And we are revived in him, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Now it is our turn. No more play on words, but we must not lose sight of the absolute necessity of forgiveness. Just as graciously as God forgives us, we are, for to, give, we are to forgive those who offended and hurt us. Uh, that's not easy. To quote Brother Woodward, those who have offended us have trespassed and gone into areas, forbidden areas in our lives where they've hurt us and they've trespassed and gone into those areas. Um, Forgiving is not saying, I like what has been done to me. That's okay. What you did is all right. That's not forgiving. That's not forgiveness. Amen. But it is a necessary act by the one offended in order to be free from the offense, to loosen up, smile genuinely, drop one's guard, feel at ease, and mend a broken or restrained relationship. Forgiveness goes against human nature, and when we've been hurt, we either want to distance ourselves or take revenge or both. Someone said vengeance is like having a videotape planted in our soul that cannot be turned off. 
It plays the painful scene over and over again inside your mind. And each time that scene is played, you feel the same clap of pain. You feel that same hurt. You feel that same slighting all over again. The matter is not dead, amen. It's still very much alive in our, in our lives. Forgiving turns off the videotape and sets the offended person free. Refusing to forgive is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. When we hold, when we hold forgiveness, it can turn to bitterness. As soon as we can, we should forgive. While we are still under the sting of pain and hurt, it can be very difficult and it's not in our human nature to do so. Unforgiveness means we withhold the grace of God and a root of bitterness can spring up and trouble us. The root of a tree is underground, not exposed above the ground, underneath where it can't be seen. A person who is not forgiven and it is turned into bitterness does not advertise it saying, I'm bitter, I'm cross, I'm offended, I don't like that person. We don't do that. People don't know unless they've got deep insight that you're bitter or you harbor bitterness, amen. But we cover it up and we put a veneer over it and we carry on and we put on our brave faces and we continue. Such a person may also have a martyrish attitude such as, I haven't forgotten, I'll put on my brave face, but I will guard myself against that person who offended me. They won't get away with it again. And I will remain stressed and defensive, even though I will be polite and affable through gritted teeth and clenched jaw. And every time the videotape is replayed, it is putting down fertilizer to those roots and making them stronger and deeper and stronger and deeper. And once bitterness is there, it's easy to get bitterness about other things as well, not just particularly for one that issue, for that one particular issue. Bitterness can, uh, it's like a disease, it spreads. When we bitter, we hold in, we don't want to, we don't relate, we, work, we relate on the surface, but not in an intimate way, not in a deep way, because we'll be found out, because we can't share, because we have bitterness, and it's a harshness in our lives. Who is the one that is hurting in this case? Who is the one who is suffering? Who is the one who's feeling terrible that, have, that has got the bitterness inside? It's not the one who's committed the offense. It's the one that's been offended. So why are we holding on to that? Why are we keeping that offense within? Because we are the ones that are hurting. The one that hurt us or offended us has probably walked away and doesn't even realize what they've done. They don't even realize what they've done. Amen. That can happen. And here we go, holding this grudge, holding this bitterness, holding this hurt, holding this pain. And when we see that person, we want to turn away and not really greet them and not be, really be friendly with them. Amen. Could I have the, the piano, please, Sister Satenka? Brother Woodward stated <clears throat> that trespasses come from others. And Jesus said we need to forgive those who trespass against us. He also clearly stated that if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you give not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Realizing the importance of forgiveness, it is understandable why Jesus replied to Peter when he asked, Lord, 
How oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Till seven times. And Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. <clears throat> it is in no way my intention to make light of anyone who's deeply offended and hurt and carries uh, hurts deep within and is struggling to forgive. It is a very hard place to be, but I do say take the first step and ask God to help in forgiving. Also be patient as God does a thorough work in you to help you to forgive such sins that may seem too hard to forgive. <coughs> Even Jesus had many offenses by others, such as betrayal, being denied by a much, by, being denied by a much beloved disciple, being accused of working with the devil, people wanting to kill him, humiliation, cruel beatings. There's a long, long list of what Jesus suffered. <coughs> but of course it did not stop him. He continued, and as he faced death on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They didn't ask Jesus to forgive him. He, he asked God to forgive them. <clears throat> to conclude, shall we stand? I'll just give a short anecdote uh, to help us tonight. So Walter Scott had difficulty with the idea of turning the other cheek. But Jesus' words took on a special meaning one day when Scott threw a rock at a stray dog to chase it away. His aim was straighter and his delivery stronger than he had intended, for he hit the animal and broke its leg. Instead of running off, the dog limped over to him and licked his hand. Scott never forgot that touching response. And he said, that dog preached the Sermon on the Mount to me as few ministers have ever presented it. Scott said he had not found human beings so ready to forgive their enemies. As we come to the front and just spend a little time with the Lord, if you have a special need, you could, we are willing to pray for you. We'd love to do that. But to just um, give God thanks and spend a short while in the presence of the Lord tonight. If there's anything within you that you want to repent of, you want to ask, to, ask God to forgive you, Come to the front and let God do that for you if you repent to him, confess it to him, and tell him what is troubling you.